Well, it is great to welcome you here this morning, and my goodness, what a great SOS team we have, and uh, so enjoyed um, just seeing them work so hard in the last few days. I, I, don't, I don't think I could sleep on a cement slab like they've been able to do in the last three days. I think you just break me in two after those two or three nights, but they are young, and they can do it, and they've been not just sleeping here at the church, but they've been working as Kristen and um, Neil has shared with you, God has done some great things in them. I was part of the Friday deal, four to six Friday. Uh, Bill Deggy and his team assembled and was able to give away a bunch of stuff. Hey, isn't it great? Isn't it fun to give away free things? It's just so awesome. And it's amazing all the things that they were able to put in those vehicles. Vehicles lined up all the way around the church. You didn't know a church parking lot could be a ministry, but it was, and it is. And just cars, three rows deep, all the way around the church, pulling through here. And you had young people, uh, the SOS team, putting stuff in those vehicles. Um, at the end of it, if they wanted to get out and peruse through some other table items over here on this side of the church, they could get out and peruse through and get some free things. And then while they're out getting free things, then the Fight Club guys, and, and as well as the SOS team, they would gather around them and pray for them. Uh, so it was just really neat how it all came together. And um, God's really used those, those uh, times, I think, and he, he used it to impact our, our community. And one of the fun things that we got to give away was burritos. I mean, these things look incredible. And uh, they came out of that refrigerated truck and it didn't help any that I, you know, with running a race at six o'clock, it's like, I'm not eating supper because I'm not gonna eat burrito and then try to run this race, all right? So uh, it would be really ugly. The fear of the beard would get real fearful fast. If I tried to eat a burrito and run that race, trying to keep up with Mr. Shepherd, holy cow. But um, God was good and we survived it. But these burritos, and I found out they came from Notre Dame University. And so I was just so excited that I could tell people, hey, you got burritos in your trunk from Notre Dame. What, really? From Notre Dame? Yeah, I said, eat like a champion today. Eat like a champion today. And so they, their, their big smiles, they were like, yeah, I haven't had supper yet. I'm going to go home and eat me a burrito. So I got to tell everybody, eat like a champion today. Eat like a champion. And they did. And they loved it. And so I'm so thankful for that, um, for that vision. And, of course, um, the race was so great, too. And little Kaylin Alice out here cheering for people going by. That was such an encouragement to see her under the shade tree cheering for everybody. And then this morning, you get to church and you get breakfast. Holy cow, look, that's incredible. And these guys are cooking breakfast. And then and, how many of you came in the north door today? How many, of you, how many of you got confetti thrown on you when you came in? Yes? Okay. How many of you came in the south door and had Christmas lights strung over your head? A little Christmas light? Yes. Okay, that's awesome. Now, so if you came in the north door and you had confetti thrown on you, just go ahead and give it an applause. Okay, okay, yes, sounds pretty good. If you came in the south door and had Christmas light tunnel to come through, you give it an applause. Okay, guys, I don't know. That sounds like a close call to me. So we'll call it a draw, okay? It's a draw. And uh, so you have to, you know, I bet we're the only church in America that threw confetti on people when they walked in the door today. Thank you for giving us that distinction in Christmas tree tunnels or, or Christmas light tunnels. So that's awesome. A lot of energy, a lot of energy in our church. 
Um, praise God for that. And a lot of service-oriented people. And you, I, I tell you, Stones Hill Community Church can be a bright light in so many ways. Not only in radical service and discipleship like that, but in the way we hold to the gospel. And the way we, we situate all that we do on a firm foundation. Because we're living in a time where there's a lot of ideologies that are infiltrating um, churches. Churches are getting progressive. And so when they get progressive, they begin to question some fundamental things. And then I, and this morning, I have to talk to you about it because uh, Colossians here gives me the, you know, it gives me an excellent opportunity to do this. But uh, even in a, in a uh, in, and I've been tracking this for a while, uh, but in a culture that's kind of at search for its identity and trying to figure out who we are, um, sometimes you'll hear the word woke and the woke culture. And so what happens is a lot of churches are getting woke where pastors are demanding that you read the canon of the woke, the woke canon. And all of a sudden now you're getting these different viewpoints. And so uh, on race and on white fragility and white guilt and these kinds of things. And so what's happening is a lot of churches are falling prey to that. And it's frightening, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck when I read it and when I see it, because I know what it's doing and I know it's dividing the body of Christ, not pulling it together. And so now we're in a danger zone, right? We're in a danger zone, we've gotta be careful. And sometimes as a pastor, I have to share some things like this. And so today um, we'll be looking at a couple of verses out of Colossians chapter two. Um, we read through them quickly last week, but um, I'll share with you just a little bit about uh, those verses in just a second. I wanna talk to you about some heartbreaking scenarios that we're seeing because of woke, a woke culture turning into a woke cult. And so we're seeing this play out in families, churches, school boards, a lot of different places in America right now. So the woke cult is getting steam, it's gaining steam. So we gotta be aware of it. And then not only that, but I wanna talk to you about a concept. I mentioned it last week. And uh, this week I'll talk to you in a more specific way. Uh, Gnosticism was the academic term or belief system or worldview that the Colossians were being um, led astray by. And uh, it's like a secret knowledge, you know, your spiritual JV if you don't have Jesus plus, okay? And so you have Jesus plus these other ideologies and all of a sudden now you're the enlightened one. Well, what, we're not just seeing Gnosticism as Gnosticism first century play out. What we're seeing is a new Gnosticism. We could call it ethnic Gnosticism. That unless you're oppressed, you don't have insight. Unless, you're a, unless you have layers of oppression in your life, Unless, unless you're a, a minority, unless you're a person with a, 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 sex, a sexual identity uh, that's not considered heterosexual, uh, and, unless you are a, of a different uh, a class, okay, you're not, you don't have the insights that you need to have. So we have ethnic Gnosticism, okay? And it's taking the country by storm. Unless you're oppressed, you don't have insight. You guys sit down and be quiet. You guys out there that, are, that happen to be uh, Christian and believe the Bible, you guys just sit down. We have the insights that you don't have because we're oppressed. Ethnic Gnosticism, it's dangerous. It's, it's, it's spreading like wildfire and you're gonna face it, okay? So I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about that. 
I'll talk to you just a little bit about a Cleveland kidnapping that happened several years ago. Uh, and so this morning, if I were to, if I were to say to you, what's my theme, I want to help, help you avoid being captured. I want to keep you from being kidnapped and sucked into something. And you know, that's how I roll. And sometimes that gets me in trouble. And sometimes uh, it, it requires a lot of prayer. And sometimes it requires just a lot of love because a lot of people tend to misunderstand these topics. Okay, here's what I want to tell you. It did not matter. Praise God. It did not matter what color you were when you came through that food line Friday. It didn't matter what ethnicity you were. It didn't matter what, what worldview you subscribed to. It didn't matter what class you're from, how you identified sexually. It did not matter. Why? Because we love you. You're going to get everything. Every, you're going to get burritos from Notre Dame. And you're going to eat like a champion. We don't care about any of that. Because we got one primary goal. We are lifting up Jesus. And, and the identity that you have in Christ is not something that sits on top of all of these other identities down here. Colossians asserts, and Paul over and over again will reaffirm that you now have a new identity in Christ. It supersedes class. It supersedes skin color. It, it, it supersedes language barriers and political viewpoints. That's what Paul's trying to say. And so it wouldn't have mattered. And so you have to understand when I bring this kind of message, it's not coming from a, from a perspective of I'm showing you how to be hateful to people. It's not coming from a motive. I'm showing you how to be cantankerous with people, how to be mean to people. And how, and how to ignore those who have been truly oppressed. No, no, no. This is not the purpose of these kinds of messages. It is to position you to avoid being captured, being snowballed into something that's going to just keep steamrolling and steamrolling. I keep mixing my metaphors, but this thing's going to gain steam. And it already has on a number of levels. But as a, a pastor of a congregation, I will tell you, that I'm on it, I see it, I see what it's doing, I see what it's trying to accomplish, and by the grace of God, we're going to keep Stones Hill strong, SOS strong, keeping doing ministry regardless of your identities, all the identities and pronouns that are being thrown around, right? Confu a confusing world, okay? We're going to continue to be the body of Christ in this community, the body of Christ in this community, regardless of all those things. But we will not allow it to subvert the priority of the gospel. We will not allow it to, to weaken the gospel message and our acceptance in Jesus. We will not allow that to happen. Because local churches like this are the hope of the world. But they got to work right. they got to work right. And so this morning, I need to talk to you about avoiding capture and one of the best ways to avoid capture from the ethnic Gnosticism we see today, I'll define it a little more in a moment, uh, is to associate and be close to a body of Christ. SOS groups and, 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 and 
uh, local churches who do discipleship and who teach you that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And it's not just the inerrant word of God. It's a sufficient book. It's all you need to grow spiritually. There's no some secret concept that you're looking for and that you got to buy the next book or go to the next seminar or talk to the next guru or listen to the the, the three and fourth layer oppressed person who has all of these new insights now that you and I need because they're oppressed and they have the, you, you don't need all of that. You have the sufficiency of the scriptures and you have the sufficiency of God and, and of what he's done for us in and through Jesus. That is enough. That is enough and that's Paul's message. Here, Christ above all. That's his message in the book of Colossians. Now, what about these heartbreaking scenarios? Well, you have a kid that comes home from college. This stuff happens. A kid comes home from a woke college. He tells his mom and dad, hey, you guys are white. You're racist. You've, a, you've been a part of a people that oppressed, oppressed everybody. And besides, I don't like your sexuality views that you've had in this family for all these years. And I don't want you to call me Joey anymore. I want you to call me Joella because I don't identify as a, man, a boy, a man anymore. Heartbreak, heartbreak. Or you have a white woman who married a black man and he gets woke and he decides to side with his black relatives and he rips his family apart because he teaches his kids how, how hateful and how awful his wife's family is because now he's woke. And he's going to rip his marriage apart. Or you have a pastor who tells all the members of his church, you need to read the woke canon. Right? You need to read all of the, all of the new authors who, who, who write books such as White Fragility and White Awake and How to Be an Anti-Racist and Be the Bridge or The Color of Compromise. Read the woke canon. Get woke up. You've got to see this stuff. The secret stuff that nobody else knows about. And nobody else can figure out because they're not oppressed. You have pastors in churches who are demanding their people take whiteness 101 in order to be welcome in their church. Heartbreaking. You have parents who learn that their school boards are adopting a curriculum that singles out kids based on skin color. Just, look, just Google Virginia right now. Google Virginia, what's happening in Fairfax, Virginia. Kids who are being segregated because of the color of their skin and given certain curriculum growth tools in that regard simply because of their skin color. It's woke cult, a woke cult that's steamrolling the country. Uh, you have a lifetime coach who loses his team and his job because he took down a BLM sticker that somebody had stuck on his office window door. And anybody that puts an adjective in front of lives matter is the racist. Never forget that. If it says black lives matter, white lives matter, red lives matter, whoever puts the adjective in front of it, that's your racist. We're living in a very, very dangerous time. And here's my, here's my challenge, church. Pray for me today. Here's my challenge. Number one, 
when we look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, if you would pull it up for me on the screen, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Actually, I want you to go with verse 4 first. Go back a slide. Paul says, I tell you, verse 4, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Go to verse 8 for me. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And these verses have a couple of presuppositions that are underneath them. And the supposition, number one, is that we are all so easily led astray. It's, it's, we are so easily deceived on so many things. And, and maybe we, wanna, we want to have success, and so we take shortcuts, and we're led astray to make the shortcuts. And Maybe we want acceptance, and so we hook up with people, multiple people, to feel this sense of acceptance, and we're led astray by hookup culture. Or maybe... Maybe we're in pain and we turn to porn to not for pleasure. We think it's for pleasure. It's numbing pain. And so we, we get led astray by these, all of these different ideologies and identities. And so, so the presupposition underneath what Paul's writing here, and he's in a jail in, in, in uh, Rome, and he's caught wind of what's happening in Colossae. And so he understands that, that we humans and even the Colossians, we are so easily led astray. And the second presupposition is we don't like to be warned. How many of you like to be warned by your parents? Now go to the speed limit every time you go out the door. Go to the speed limit. Go to the speed limit. Seems like I told Will that all the time, right? We tell our kids that. And we don't like to be warned. So, so we are so easily led astray, one hand, second hand, second point. We don't like to be warned about that. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there are plausible arguments and reasons that are going to come to you. They're going to come through friends and movies. They're going to come through books and desires and media and culture. You're going to hear very plausible arguments that will dupe you and enslave you. And Paul understands that. And so he says, I'm going to give you some clarity. And he very carefully gives to the Colossian believers, brothers and sisters, clarity. And so this morning, I would ask that you would allow me to give you a warning without just shutting me down as just another guy who's standing on the, on the uh, precipice of something, getting over, worked up over nothing. You know, we have weather warnings, we have traffic warnings, we got to watch when we're driving, we got health warnings about pandemics, we got people warnings, some people can be toxic, you got to kind of be concerned about that. We got relationship warnings, some people are codependent, they'll plug in, take advantage of your life. We have website warnings, if you're gonna, getting on a, a questionable website, we got engine warnings, if you're driving without oil, we got, we got food warnings. Right? If you eat this a certain amount of this food or this, this food has ingredients in it, there's a food warning. It serves to reason that we need spiritual life warnings. We need them because sometimes we face stuff. And I want to help you avoid being captured. I don't want you to be taken captive. 
I want you to be free men and women. You know, there's a guy by the name of Jeff Sanders. He's a pastor. He also is, is a self-defense instructor. instructor. And um, what happens is typically people are kidnapped, and that's what verse 8 means. Um, if we do the word study behind the word, take you captive, it was a kidnapping. It was a forceful uh, kidnapping where you, uh, you, you bait someone in through hollow and deceptive philosophy. You tell them what you, want them, what you think they want to hear. You treat them in a certain way. You, you, uh, you uh, uh, give them that sense of acceptance and belonging they're looking for. And once you bait them in and once you create those bonds, then you suck them into something. And then now you're going to shape their thoughts and their worldview. And this is how cult leaders get started and cult groups get started, okay? And Paul understands this. And, and, so, and so people can be kidnapped. They can be taken captive. Um, and so many times people are kidnapped or taken captive when they accept a ride from someone. Um, this guy talks about how people willingly accept rides. Sometimes they're forced into a car. Other times they're drugged and they're carried away only to wake up a captive, in fact, he offers several great suggestions. Don't ride with strangers, all right? If you don't want to be kidnapped or taken captive, be careful about uh, the people, even the people you know who you accept rides with. Don't be predictable, vary your routine. Let people know where you are. Um, be wary about social media and telling people where you're at. Um, and watch your drink when you go somewhere in a restaurant or something, watch your drink. Make sure nobody just drops a drug in there because that's a big thing. And then he says, he's, a lot of other things. I'll leave it out. Then he says, uh, uh, one of the, his exhortations and, and uh, tips, he says, if you are taken captive, leave breadcrumbs. What's he mean? Let people drop clues here and there that you've been there. So that when somebody wants to track you down and rescue you from being taken captive, they will have something that they can, a trail that will lead to where you may be. He says, leave breadcrumbs. What Paul is doing in Colossae is that he's tracking the breadcrumbs to these believers who are on the fringe. They're being sucked in. And Paul is tracking the breadcrumbs and he's saying, this is what's going to bring you back home. And so what he does is he, uh, he here in chapter 2 of Colossians, in order to be, uh, avoid further capture and to avoid the ongoing state of being spiritually kidnapped, he says, and he gives verses 8 through 19, consists of three warnings um, in, this, in this particular chapter. Um, if, we, if we look on the screen, guys, just pull up on the screen where he gives us three warnings. Um, I forget what slide number it is. And go ahead and go to the next slide for me if you would. And so what he says basically are, are three warnings that he gives in Colossians 2. He says, first of all, don't let anyone kidnap you. That's verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. Uh, that's going to be our focus today. Um, he also says in verse 16, don't let anyone condemn you. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. And then he says in verse 18, don't let anyone disqualify you. Do not let anyone disqualify you, he says in verse 18. And so we need these warnings. And Paul gives you three. He gives you three warnings. And so when we look at, uh, you know, this generally, you know, he, he's saying, uh, 
I don't want you to be taken captive and, and you have a pastor and I'm your, I'm your spiritual leader and I'm going to point out some stuff to you guys in Colossae because this is happening in your world and you're getting sucked in, okay? So you need a pastor. Don't let anyone condemn you. Hey, you need a savior. You've got lots of different worldviews out there that are going to condemn you simply because you have a certain skin color. Paul says, don't let anybody do that. He says, don't let anyone disqualify you. And what's the, one of the best ways to fulfill that exhortation is to lock down with a local church who refuses to go woke, who instead stays biblical and keeps you on the front and center and grounded, keeps you grounded in the scriptures. That's what will help you not be taken kidnapped or taken captive by an ideology that can destroy your life. You know, um, someone was trying to mislead the Colossians. Wouldn't you say that? Someone's trying to mislead them. Why does Paul step back and give these three warnings? Hey, I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful what you believe. I want you to be careful who you're identifying with, what, what belief system worldview you're going to travel with, how you're viewing life. I want you to be careful. And of course, last week I talked to you about how um, uh, the, the academic term of Gnosticism was kind of a big deal. Uh, Gnosticism is derived from the Greek word gnosis or knowledge. And it's based on the idea that truth can be accessed through a special mystical knowledge. And that somehow the Colossians were spiritual JV because they believed in, this, in the uh, person of Jesus and Jesus only. And they believed in the virgin birth and the resurrection and the ascension. And they were spiritually JV because that's what they believed. And when you look at uh, the, the, the main topics and the main, um, you know, biblical foundation of the nature of God, the person of Christ, the work of the cross, the nature of man, the nature of revelation, all of these things, virtually every significant error in Christendom at large is an error in one of those areas. You start tweaking with the word. You start tweaking with some fundamental beliefs. You get progressive, you get woke, and now you've got these other sources of truth that are just as invalid or even more important, more authoritative than the scriptures. Why? Because I'm third and fourth level oppressed person here. And so I have insights that the word of God doesn't have. It's woke culture turning into a woke cult. It's dangerous. And Paul he faced a version of this in Colossae in the first century. You're going to face it in a number of ways in the days ahead. And so again, it's not so that you can be hateful. It's not so that you can be mean to people. It's so that you can have eyes to see and wisdom and a heart that understands these dynamics so that there's times when we, 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 we have to be careful and, we, and we're guarded and we're, yes, we, we serve and we give food and, we, and, and, and it doesn't matter who, how you identify on all those things, okay? We're going to serve you and love you, but we're going to be careful about the ideology maybe that you represent. And partnering with that and unifying with that because there's some dangerous things. So as Paul looks at this and he understands this, we could say today that the danger of the church, the danger in the culture is not just Gnosticism from the first century. It's a, a new kind of Gnosticism in our time. It's called, it, it, we could call it ethnic Gnosticism. And again, the first century uh, world, there was a group of people 
who were saying that you needed Christ plus this special knowledge or insight. And today, Vody Bauckham, slide number eight if you would, Vody Bauckham has done an excellent job of helping all of us understand that this new Gnosticism is an ethnic Gnosticism and it's what woke culture will proclaim and will preach and, and um, will communicate. And that is that, that I'm able to know if something is racist because of my race. I have unique insights because of my oppressive status. I have special knowledge because of my minority status. And if you give a look or you make a comment and that's interpreted as racist, and if you come back and say, well, that's not what I meant, then it's your privilege speaking. You don't know what you don't know, but I know oppression. So you have to be taught how racist you are. Nobody has to teach me. I'm oppressed, but you have to be taught. Because you happen to be raised in a family with two parents. Or you happen to be a certain skin color. Nobody has to teach me though, because I'm oppressed. You see, ethnic Gnosticism. I have special knowledge you don't have, and you can't get it. Unless you're a part of this little elite group that's being viewed as an elite group of oppressed people. In this paradigm, people's lack of privilege and their oppressed status gives them greater discernment and a more complete view of the world. And if you're seen as privileged and you have blind spots, so the woke cult will say things like, we're the varsity and you're the JV team. We know how to access spiritual truth. And if you deny yourself, if you apologize for how wrong you've been, get enlightened with our set of lenses and then do what we say, then maybe there can be some progress made. It's time for society to look to the marginalized for the truth because we're the only ones who see it. It's dangerous. It sounds so just, socially justified. It's packaged so well, but it's subversive to the gospel. The current movement is to group all oppressed groups under one banner. The code word that's used on that is intersectionality. You'll see it if you're in the university systems and things, you'll hear that term quite a bit. Um, but it's where oppressed groups all come under one banner. So the oppression might be racial, it might be sexual, it might be ableism or your, based on your ability, it may be weight, it may be national origin, it may be re your religion, it may be your gender. But all of the oppressed are, those have been oppressed by systemic power dynamics, they gotta come together now and build solidarity and be those who have been systematically oppressed and they're systematically oppressed others, they're together now in solidarity and they share this sense of societal grievance. And more often than not, the one doing the oppression is a white, heterosexual, native-born Christian male who uses the Bible to preserve their power and oppress the minorities. I am that person. In this worldview. Christianity is becoming the tool of oppression. Bigoted and intolerant people 
who go to churches like Stones Hill. This is dangerous. Like I said, the term is intersectionality. Pastor, what does that mean? Well, for example, if you're a West Virginia hillbilly, okay, that's one layer of oppression. If I'm a West Virginia hillbilly that happens to be female, that's another layer of oppression. If I'm a West Virginia hillbilly that happens to be female with a skin color other than white, that's another layer of oppression. And if I happen to be a West Virginia hillbilly who is female with the wrong skin color, and I'm also a lesbian or homosexual, that's another layer. And we can keep going. Ethnic Gnosticism. That these persons with these layers of oppression are the only ones who have this special insight. They're the only ones who have this special understanding. And, and for each step or layer of oppression, you climb higher on the victimhood ladder. And your truth is more true than even the Bible itself. The implication is that you have been victimized or marginalized and the higher your consciousness is to the oppression, the higher your insight on secret truth is able to climb. And the message in the, at the end of the day is that you don't know what you don't know, but we know. Your Bible doesn't help us any. Step aside, step down, white pastor. You're not oppressed. You have no dog in this fight. You have no spiritual insight to offer us. Nobody has to teach us. And you know, ethnic Gnosticism has its own kind of priesthood. All oppressed minorities, especially those with multiple layers of oppression, form a kind of priesthood. The more layers, the higher up you go in this new priesthood. And so unless you elevate the voices of the oppressed, we are told, you will never be spiritual varsity. Your gnosis is broken. And it doesn't matter if you've had oppressive experiences in your life. If you are not a part of the marginalized, as we see them today, you have nothing to offer. Slide number 10. I think John L. Cooper does a great job in Awake and Alive. He says, can you see why life has become so chaotic? The marginalized, the oppressed are all at war with each other as well as all the oppressors trying to decide day by day who is the most victimized in order to see who is the most powerful and the ones that should be elevated. And whoever is left standing at the end of the day can burn down any tradition that one perceives as privileged, that is Christianity, the church, the Bible, the family. It all has to bow to the hierarchy of victimhood. And if you're from an oppressed group, you can say some very oppressive, hateful, racial things and be okay. But if you are considered an oppressor, and you can say certain things and, you, and it doesn't matter. I didn't mean it that way. That's not how I intended it. 
It doesn't matter. If it's received in the wrong way, then it's racist. And you have to apologize. And you can never be sorry enough. And it doesn't matter how much you may have fought at abortion clinics to protect minority babies from being, from being terminated. It doesn't matter how many years you've given yourself to, to, for the minority community like that. It doesn't matter. You've got to tell us how sorry you are about what's happening now. Ethnic Gnosticism. It's dirty. It's strong. It's deceitful. It's hateful. And it's ripping apart bodies of Christ all over America. Out of this ethnic Gnostic priesthood, you have the enlightened saviors. People from the oppressor class who are spiritual varsity and they have been vested with authority to tell everybody else what truth really is. And they'll usually do that for a fee, a hefty fee. I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm making you aware. I want you to avoid capture. Don't get sucked in. There's a certain aspect of this that's true. You have to understand me. Of course we can learn from other people. Those who have been oppressed and, and um, um, challenged in areas of their life, even abused. I mean, we, we learn from people, right? That's the beauty of life. Of course we learn from everybody. After all, everyone is oblivious to life beyond his or her own experiences, and that's normal. But my contention this morning is that we should be suspicious of anybody who claims to have transcended such limitations. Not condemning of those who in the woke person's eyes have failed to see them. So in other words, Vody Bakken would say, when people start claiming that they are woke, that they are enlightened, they are the enlightened ones, and they see racism and all the normal differences that there are among people and make racist accusations based on those differences, those are the people you need to be suspicious of. Not from people who are from a different uh, identity or an oppressor group that has somehow um, trying to control how people see things and, and the flow of truth. And so many people have been turned into, uh, in captured, kidnapped by this ideology. They have turned to bitterness and violence and hate and rage to dismantle systems because they have bought it. James Lindsay talks about the woke cult. It's not just a woke movement now. There are some who definitely are fighting to overturn unjust systems and structures that are maybe based on racism, sexism, and classism, and other forms of oppression. I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that. But what, what we're seeing is this has grown into a fanatical worldview of intolerance and violence. And we see it being expressed on and offline by some devotees of social justice. And it's very, very frightening when you see what this really asserts. James Lindsay would tell you, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a woke culture. This is morphed into something. It's a woke cult. What's, it, what's a woke cult do? What's it, what does it assert? Well, Paul seems to have this in mind. 
And if you'll go back to my warnings, go back to my, my three warnings that I put up. Uh, Paul seems to bear this in mind. Uh, Lindsay talks about how there's initiation. Be on our woke team. Cut ties with your family. Tell your mom and dad how silly they are forever believing that, that gender was something that's locked in from the day that you're born. Right? Or their sexual values and how things have morphed and changed. And, and, and let us help you, let, let us help meet your need to belong. There's initiation. Paul says to that, what he says to that, don't let anyone capture you. Don't let anyone take you captive. See to it that no one takes you captive and initiates you into a worldview that's going to turn you against your family. Paul, uh, Lindsay talks about indoctrination. So there's initiation. There's indoctrination, right? You have contributed to this racist mess and you can never understand it because you're an oppressor. What's Paul say? Don't let anyone condemn you. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're in Christ and there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And that identity identifies everything else about your life. And the woke culture and the woke movement initiates. They will indoctrinate. They will condemn you. Paul says, don't let them do that. He says, and, and, and there's reprogramming, right? You're initiated. There's indoctrination. Now you're reprogrammed. Help us dismantle systems. Let's defund the police. Let's build a better world. We're always, always going to be looking for racism and everything. To disqualify and cancel people. What does Paul say? Don't let anyone disqualify or cancel you. Paul's on this. We have to be on this. He, he faced it in the first century. We're facing it yet again. It's an ethnic Gnosticism. And it's a worldview that's gaining steam. And finally, uh, Lindsay talks about not just initiation, indoctrination, reprogramming. Uh, he talks about allegiance. Now you need to do your penance before the public. Make a costly sacrifice. Bow down and worship. Kiss someone's boots. Find someone who is just another uh, of another uh, oppressed status person, another ethnicity. Give money to them. Bow to them. Hold a ribbon. Kneel during the anthem. Do what you got to do, but do something symbolic to show that you're not a racist. You know what Paul says to that? Put your flags aside. Put your class identities aside. There's one truth and one allegiance only. And he says it all through the book of Colossians. Jesus Christ above all. That's our allegiance. That's who we honor. And that's who we lift up. You know, I'm going to hurry here this morning. If we go to uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. You know, we talked about the, the danger, the, cat, the danger of being captured by something. And now one of the best things that we can do to avoid being captured. Paul says it. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. So I love how Paul says this, and I want you to note the contrasting pairs, right? The Colossian believers had racial barriers. That's the Jew and Gentile on the screen. 
They had religious barriers. That's the circumcised and the uncircumcised on the screen. They had cultural barriers. That's the black barbarians and the white Scythians. Both were barbarian peoples, but the Scythians were known as savages, drug heads, and alcoholics. They had social barriers. That's the slaves and freemen. They had all of these barriers in the body of Christ in Colossae. And they overcame every one of them. How? Jesus. They set those artificial divisions aside. And there's no differences. And so Paul says, we can't divide people up by ethnicity and declare that some are wicked oppressors and others are the oppressed. It's unbiblical. It's antithetical to the Bible and the gospel. We can't do that anymore. It's inconsistent with the Bible's teaching of forgiveness. And Christ's blood is sufficient. And he does the unending work. And and he does the work. We don't do the unending work of anti-racism under the canopy of generational guilt based on ethnicity. All of that um, worldview contradicts the gospel. And so Paul lays it on. And so what you have in Colossae. You've got Colossian churches. They had, in the Colossian church, you had slaves teaching the free. You had Gentiles educating Jews. You had Scythians, the hillbillies of the group, the rednecks of the group, discipling wealthy Greeks and high-class Romans. Everything was upside down in the new community of Colossae. Why? Because Christ was all and in all. He is sufficient Lord and Savior, sufficient King. He indwells all believers. And because He indwells all believers, He erases the differences. And yeah, there might have been a time in your life when you thought you fit into a specific group and a specific identity. And maybe there was a time in your life because you fit in with that group, you were better than somebody else. And maybe we relied on that for approval and acceptance. But in Christ, we have found a level of satisfaction and safety well beyond those old distinctions of the old man. And now we have been absorbed into a new family, a new identity, and it does not matter what color your skin happens to be. So this morning... I want you to avoid being captured. Don't get woke. It'll destroy your family, destroy your education, it'll destroy your church, it'll destroy your community. Stay true to the scriptures. Let Jesus and his identity stamp you as his own. You know, in 2002, slide number 11, if you would for me. Slide number 11 in 2002, Cleveland, Ohio, A single mother, Michelle Knight, was walking along on the streets of Cleveland. She realized that she was late, and she accepted a ride from an acquaintance by the name of Ariel Castro. Ariel Castro was the father of one of her schoolmates, and so she thought it would be safe. And as soon as she gets into his vehicle, she realized there's no door handles on his his vehicle. And that, that concerned her. It's like, well, okay, I'm getting a ride, and thank you, but I don't see a door handle. What's that mean? Well, and... They make small talk, and he has a little ad on the dash of his, of his uh, van, and it's an ad for giving away free puppies. And so he talks to her about giving her a free puppy for her son, Joey. And so she liked that idea, and so she goes to his house with him. And once she, she is inside his house, he imprisons her with chains in a dark room, 
And what's more, in 2003 and 2004, true story, okay, Ariel Castro kidnapped and abused Amanda Berry, who ended up having a child with him, and Gina DeJesus, the youngest of the three girls at 12 years of age. He kidnapped three women, kept them for a period of over 10 years, and no one ever knew. And they had neighbors 20 yards away. No one ever knew in the city of Cleveland. They were taken capture and kidnapped. They had prayer visuals for these women uh, in Cleveland every year, and, and this guy would go to the prayer vigils and take part in them. And he would, he would uh, move these ladies around in his home. And so they had psychological abuse and periods of starvation. They had bed sores and bed bugs. Uh, they would freeze in the basement in the winter. They would swelter in heat in the summer in the attic of this Cleveland home. For 10 years, Ariel Castro had three women kidnapped off the streets of Cleveland. Michelle was his first victim, and she was subjected to sexual abuse, five miscarriages. Uh, she says she was the punching bag of the group. He took his anger out on her. Amanda became his surrogate wife. Jocelyn was actually born in this relationship uh, because she was sexually abused as well. And Jocelyn was born. She had a daughter by her captor. Gina was the young one of the group. And, and he would always go to the vigils at her vigils. And, and he would even make birthday, or like birthday cakes to celebrate the day they were taken into captivity. Just a, really a, a, a sicko, a wrecked guy. And they were kept in inside and out of sight for years. And Castro had family in Fort Wayne, and he would make that trip to Fort Wayne, and he would drive back to Cleveland all on the same day, and his family could never figure out why in the world he would never just spend the night in Fort Wayne. But he never would. He would head, hurry back to, to Cleveland to take care of his, the people he had, uh, had kidnapped. In 2013, he forgot to lock the door upstairs. Jocelyn, she's six years of age by this time, goes upstairs, tells her mom, Amanda, hey, I think, Grandpa, I think Daddy left. I don't see his car. And she hurried downstairs, and the, the, the screen door and the other doors on the front door were locked and bolted and chained, and somehow she was able to pry some of it open. She got a neighbor's attention. The neighbor came over and got out of there, called 911. The ladies were rescued. It was incredible, incredible news in Cleveland. I don't know how I missed the story in 2013, but I missed it. Just kind of recently discovered it this week as I was thinking about the message. Thinking about how, how to help you avoid being captured. How to help you, your SOSers, how to help you avoid being kidnapped someday. Not just by an era of Castro, but by an ideology that will lead you astray and devalue who you are in Christ. I want you to avoid capture. And so what's interesting is that I learned, because I, I pursued this story a little bit this week. Prior to the kidnappings, Ariel Castro, who himself had come from a rough home and a background of abuse, he had been beaten and, and abused himself. But then he, he had a common-law wife. He had four kids with her. And he severely beat his common-law wife such that the kids and she left him. She developed a brain tumor from the beatings and eventually died. 
but, but at this time she was still alive because about a year or so into the kidnappings, Castro thought he might be caught and he was prepared to kill himself. So he wrote a letter of confession and he placed it in a drawer where it stayed for the next nine years. His confession letter included many things. How much money he had in his bank account, where his cash was hidden, why he did what he did, and how he wanted all of his money to go to the victims. He wanted his common law wife to look after their children. And ironically enough, he wrote in his letter, will you tell my children to never get in a vehicle with strangers? See to it that no one takes you captive. See to it that no one ever takes you captive. One of the Bible verses that the women taught little Jocelyn, the little girl that was born, and Amanda had to have the baby in the house because she's chained up, right? And the baby was born, wasn't breathing. Michelle, one of the other ladies, did CPR on the baby and got it to breathe. And it's a good thing because he's going to kill Michelle if the baby didn't survive. But they had this baby, this little girl. Talk about identity crisis. Wow. And they said, well, we're going to raise her. We're going to raise her right. So each day they would pretend walk to school. They'd pretend walk across the street. They'd pretend walk stop at the stoplights, make the left, make the right, get to school. They put little ABCs up, little because they could journal. They had, the chain was a little longer so they could you know, maneuver around in their rooms, watch TV, listen to radio. They said watching the world go by for 10 years was crazy. They felt so alone and yet they were glad to have each other. But they said, we're gonna raise this girl with an identity, a, a good identity, despite what's happened. And one of the Bible verses that the women taught little Jocelyn when she was four years old, up to a couple more years, six years old, and they were rescued. It was Isaiah 54, 7. No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. See to it that no one takes you captive that your identity is in Christ, that you're not to be disqualified because of the color of your skin. You don't have to be mean about it, but you can be loving about it, but see to it that no one is allowed to disqualify. No one is allowed to take you captive. No one is allowed to push you into a worldview that's gonna chew you up and spit you out and divide you from the people that love you and really care for you. See to it. Don't go woke. Go biblical. It'll lead you home. Now, we don't like to be warned, do we? We don't like to. We don't like to be warned, but we need to be. And so today, kind of tracking this, reading after this, pursuing this, I stand before you. There's your warning. See to it that Jesus stays front and center in your life, in your family, 
in your community, in your church, on your school boards, in your, on your work teams. See to it. Will you stand with me? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the clarion call of Apostle Paul sitting and, and from some people's perspective, rotting in a Roman prison, they could care less. But praise God, he had the fortitude and the insight and he had the worldview tools at his disposal. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what Jesus was about. And he knew the identity that Jesus had given him. And he saw and he loved these Colossian believers. And he cared for them and he, and he invested in them and he could see them being taken by the aerial casters of the world and picked up off of the streets of Colossae and given identities and given names, new names and, 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 and uh, manipulated into believing they were somebody they really weren't. Father, it's not going to happen at Stones Hill. No, 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 no. By your word and by your grace, we will be a people firmly committed to the scriptures. We will be a people firmly committed to our, our identity in Christ. We will not be initiated, indoctrinated. We will not swear allegiance to a worldview that divides everybody based on oppressors and oppressed. No, no. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. All other differences are obliterated. For in him, we're one body. Praise God. And you can drive through that line. It doesn't matter who or what you are or where you come from. You're going to get burritos from Notre Dame. Praise God. Because we love you. And we want you to belong to the family of God. Who will give you insight to navigate this very complicated world that we live in. And so, Father, we just pray right now a commissioning prayer over this incredible SOST. A commissioning prayer over the elders of our church. A commissioning prayer over everybody here online today. Everybody online who, who, who the, they can't make sense of the chaos of the world. And maybe after hearing these, this message today, maybe it's starting to make sense. Maybe, maybe we are living in a world where, where people are trying to elevate themselves in a new ethnic Gnostic priesthood with all the insights everybody else needs. Well, Father, we make a decision here today. We're gonna to see to it that Jesus is our everything and our only thing because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This is how we choose to live. And so this day, in the words, those ancient words of Apostle Paul, see to it that no one takes you captive. And we dismiss this group in light of that exhortation. And if there's somebody here who does not know you and they realize they need you, would you stamp them as your own this morning before they walk out of this place? Stamp them as your own and set them free. We ask all these things in your name.